you'll remain standing, we're going to read some scripture, and uh, this is from Psalm 46, a great psalm, and uh, we're going to read the first seven verses, so you can follow along as I read uh, Psalm 46, 1 through 7. The psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's uh, let's pray together as we continue our worship. Lord, we're thankful that in this uh, world of uh, tumult and change and chaos, that we have a place of refuge and strength. And Lord, we thank you for um, the hope and the encouragement that your word gives us. Lord, this morning we pray for um, our nation, we pray for our president and our leaders, Lord, I pray that you would guide them and give them a wisdom. Uh, Lord, we pray this same for our state and local leaders, and thank you for them, and uh, pray your blessing and wisdom upon them. Lord, we uh, pray for our church family today, and uh, Lord, we uh, commit everyone to you, uh, some that are traveling today, some that are not feeling well, uh, some that have great needs. And Lord, thank you that we can pray for one another and encourage one another. Lord, we pray for our missionaries of the month. Thank you for their faithful ministry and service to you for so many years. We pray your continued blessing upon them. Now we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds uh, to your word, and uh, we pray that you would speak to us today. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been in the book of Joshua for about... Four months, and uh, we're in the home stretch here. So we have uh, about uh, two or three messages left, and uh, we're going to be in a chapter, chapter 20 of Joshua today, that is a fascinating chapter. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, this will be familiar territory to you. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, this might be some new territory, but uh, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 20, and uh, the... Uh, concept is cities of refuge, cities of refuge. So as we think about the news today, and what's dominated the news today certainly has been uh, the war in Ukraine, and we hear a lot from the news media about people called refugees. Ukraine has a population of 44 million people. Uh, The last news report I saw said that 5 million of the 44 million have already fled the country. They're called refugees. They're looking for a place of refuge. I looked up the definition of the word refuge in uh, the dictionary this week. The definition reads, a refuge, a condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. <clears throat> so, uh, refugees are looking for safety. They're looking for shelter from danger, pursuit, and trouble. And boy, how we need to continue to pray for what's going on over there in Ukraine. 
But there's a connection to our passage this morning, to refugees and this concept of a refuge. What we're going to look at this morning, people are not uh, fleeing from a war, but they are looking for a place of shelter and safety. And so we're going to look at uh, this whole concept of cities of refuge, and there's basically three key passages in the Old Testament that talk about this. Numbers 35, Deuteronomy 19, and the third one is Joshua chapter 20. So we're going to be all in all three of those passages this morning as we think about uh, the cities of refuge. So let's get a little context, and then we'll jump into Joshua chapter 20. The context, of course, of the book of Joshua is that uh, Joshua is the new leader. They're going in, and they, they conquer the land of Canaan. We've already looked at that. Uh, Joshua chapter 12 lists 33 cities, 33 kings that they conquered. And so now, uh, as we come to the middle section of the book of Joshua, what is happening is Joshua then is giving the land to the 12 tribes. This is their inheritance. This is their spoils from, from winning the victory, and it's connected to the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis chapter 12. The Abrahamic covenant is Abraham through your descendants, all the world will be blessed. And that comes to fruition through Jesus Christ. But part of the Abrahamic covenant also has to do with land. And so in Joshua chapter 13 through 19, and we studied this a couple weeks ago, uh, they're giving the 12 tribes their inheritance. Two and a half tribes get an inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. Nine and a half tribes, the rest of them, get their inheritance on the west side of the Jordan. And so as you come to chapter 19, uh, Joshua has given to the 12 tribes their land, their inheritance, but there's one category of people who were not included in that. And it was the Levites. Now, who were the Levites? The Levites were the, the priests whose job was to serve and assist worship in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. And they were not given a section of land, but instead they were given cities. Uh, Numbers chapter 35 is where we'll, we'll start this morning. And uh, let me read to you from Numbers 35, the assignment to the Levites, not of a section of land, but of cities. There were 48 of them. And this is Numbers 35, 6 through 8. Six of the towns you give the Levites will be cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed someone may flee. In addition, give them 42 other towns, in all, you must give the Levites 48 towns together with their pasture lands. So rather than a section of land, the priests were assigned to 48 cities spread throughout Canaan. <clears throat> and then God said to Joshua, six of those cities, of those 48, are to be designated as cities of refuge. Cities of refuge. And so our question is this morning, and we're going to look at it, is what's the city of refuge? And uh, we want to look at it from uh, Joshua chapter 20. And so the first uh, point in our outline is to think about the purpose of a city of refuge. And we've already hinted at it if you, as we read Numbers chapter 35. So let me read um, 
verses 1 through 3 of Joshua 20. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge, as I instructed you through Moses. Here's the purpose. So that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. And so there were six cities designated throughout Canaan. And I think you have a a map in your um, bulletin this morning. You can see where these are. Kind of equally spread throughout Canaan so that people could go to a city of refuge if they needed it. And the purpose was for protection. And it was specifically designed, as we read in Joshua um, verse 3, for anyone who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally. They could flee to a city of refuge. Here's what one commentary has to say about the city of a refuge. I found it fascinating. Let me, let me share it with you. The six cities of refuge were needed because society in that day had no police force for investigating, investigating crimes. So today, if this would happen, what would we do? We would, we would contact the authorities. The police would come. There'd be an investigation of why this person and how this person was killed. They didn't have a police force back in the land of Canaan. They had cities of refuge. Each family was responsible to make sure that murders were avenged. This is fascinating. There's a concept in in the Old Testament, and this is how they took care of murder. Uh, The background of this is Genesis chapter 9, verses uh, last part of verse 5 and verse 6. It says, and from each human being, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. So God considers life sacred, sanctity of life. Does the Bible believe in capital punishment? Yes, because it is a deterrent to murder. And it it signifies the value and the sanctity of human life. And so Genesis 9, 6 says, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. Why? For in the image of God has God made mankind. So every human being has great worth and value because we're created in God's image. And so in the Old Testament, this is how this worked. There was somebody called the Avenger. And if somebody murdered somebody in your family... It was the responsibility of the avenger who usually was the closest male relative to the person that was killed. And you know what their job was to do? Go take out the other person. That's how justice was carried out. You're you're to find the person that murdered your brother or your relative and you're to kill them for justice to take place. But here's here's the problem, and this is this is the uh, the reason for the uh, uh, the cities of refuge is because it's it's sometimes not clear. We have something in our justice legal system called um, involuntary manslaughter. Now, involuntary manslaughter is uh, when someone loses their life, but it was there was no intent. It, it, it was it was accidental. 
Diane and I have uh, three friends, and I'd say in the last decade, uh, three of our friends, uh, two of them were older individuals, one was a younger individual, and they were driving cars, and uh, they accidentally killed a person, not intentionally. Uh, like I said, two of them were, were quite older drivers. One was a very young driver, a horrific situation. And the amount of pain and that that kind of situation brings. And, and that's the kind of issue that Joshua chapter 20 is, is dealing with here. And so, uh, if you accidentally killed somebody, you could run to the city of refuge. Because if you don't get there quickly, guess what's going to happen? The avenger is going to find you, and uh, you're going to lose your life. And so uh, God was concerned to protect somebody who accidentally killed somebody until justice could take place and the case could be examined. So as we read Scripture and throughout the Old Testament, there is a distinction between premeditated murder, and accidental killings. So let's look at a couple of these passages here. And the first one is Numbers chapter 35. And let me read verses 16 through 19. And the scripture kind of makes this very clear. This is Numbers 35, talking about the cities of refuge. Verse 16, if anyone strikes someone a fatal blow... With an iron object. So you got a piece of iron in your hand. Uh, that signifies intent. And you, you hit somebody and they die. The murderer is to be put to death. Or if anyone is holding a stone and strikes someone, same, same concept. Murder is to be put to death. Or if anybody is hit holding a wooden object and strikes someone a fatal blow with it, that person is a murderer. The murderer is to be put to death. Um, it's interesting. Deuteronomy 19 gives another illustration. Um, actually, we'll, we'll get there in a little bit. Um, let's go back to Numbers 35. Now it gives an example of an accidental killing, an unintentional murder. And uh, here it is in verse, uh, beginning in verse uh, 22 of Numbers 35. But if some, but if without enmity, someone suddenly pushes another, throws something at them unintentionally, or without seeing them, drops on them a heavy stone enough to kill them and they die, then since that other person was not an enemy and no harm was intended, there's no premeditation here. It, it was an accident. It goes on to say, the assembly must judge between the accused and the avenger of blood according to these regulations. Uh, Deuteronomy 19 gives a, another illustration of perhaps an accidental killing. In Deuteronomy 19, uh, verses 4 and 5, this is the rule concerning anyone who kills a person and flees for safety. Anyone who kills a neighbor unintentionally without malice aforethought 
Now here's the illustration. For instance, a man who goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and as he swings his axe to fell a tree, the head may fly off and hit his neighbor and kill him. So you're, you're chopping some wood in the forest with your friend with an axe, and the scripture says if the axe head flies off the handle, hits the person next to you or nearby and kills them, there was no malice there. There was no intent. goes on to say, that man may flee to one of these cities and save his life. You, you can run to one of these six cities of refuge for protection. And so that's the purpose of these, these six cities that, that God uh, put into the nation of Israel and assigned to, uh, for the Levites to uh, live in. And as we go back to Joshua chapter 20, then we discover the, the protocol. So how is this to, uh, to work? How is this to function? And let's uh, uh, read Joshua chapter 20, uh, verses 4 through 6, is how the protocol works. Uh, verse 4, when they flee to one of these cities, so you've accidentally, unintentionally uh, killed somebody and you come to one of these six cities of refuge, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. So the city gates in uh, the Old Testament was like the courthouse in our culture today. And and that's where uh, all this uh, things were, were hammered out. Uh, the elders or the leaders of the city would come and uh, now you've come and want entrance into the city of refuge and you need to state your case. You need to tell those elders why you're there and what happened. It says, then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place for them to live among them. So this was an accidental killing. You might say, I had no intent to kill somebody. They provide a place for you to live in one of these six cities. Verse 5, if the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, now the the nearest relative is, is, is looking for them and they come to one of these cities. It says the elders must not surrender the fugitive. So they're not going to give the fugitive over because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice and forethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly. And this is interesting. And until the death of the high priest who's serving at that time, then they may go back to their home in the town for which they fled. So here it is. This is this city is designed to protect you. Uh, and even if the avenger comes, you're not to surrender them over until you can kind of have a trial uh, before these elders and before the assembly, and they determine, yes, this was an unintentional killing. Now, if they discovered that it was an intentional killing, that person was taken back to the city, and the avenger was going to um, take care of business. And so if you were uh, not guilty of an intentional killing, you had to stay in that city of refuge until the current high priest died. And when the current high priest died, that signified, uh, it's kind of like the statue of limitations, you now can go back to your hometown and you will be safe 
and you can live in your hometown again. The other concept that's clear in, in Scripture um, is the concept that as we think about this in Numbers 35, 26 through 28, uh, adds another interesting thought here. And let me read uh, those few verses for you. But if the accused ever goes outside the limits of the city of refuge to which they fled. So say uh, you're in that city of refuge and you want to go outside the city walls. And the avenger of blood finds them outside the city. The avenger of blood may kill the accused without being guilty of murder. You better stay in that city of refuge. Even if you were not guilty of an intentional killing, because if you wandered outside those walls, uh, the avenger was going to want to kill you. And again, the concept, verse 28, the accused must stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Only after the death of the high priest may they return to their own property. And so these cities of refuge um, were designed so that um, innocent people who perhaps took someone's life, but it was involuntary manslaughter, it was not intentional, would be protected until justice could take place, until there was a trial. Now, as I mentioned in your uh, bulletin, you have these uh, six cities of refuge, and I've highlighted them in uh, with a blue marker there. And uh, that's the rest of our chapter here in verses 7 through 9. I won't read those verses, but it just simply says, here are the, here are the six cities. And uh, the six cities are Kadesh, Shechem, Hebron, Bezer, Ramath, and Golan. Uh, you'll notice uh, three that are on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan, three that are on the western side of the Jordan, some in the north, some in the central, and some in the south. And uh, that's the way someone could easily uh, make it to one of the cities of refuge if need be. Well, this morning, as we think about this whole concept of cities of refuge, we want to just uh, begin to turn the corner and wrap this up by thinking about some life lessons. What, what can we learn from the fact that there's these cities of refuge that God's, God set up and told the, the Israelites to, to place within uh, the context of the land of Canaan? And so we're going to think about three life lessons from Joshua chapter 20. And um, I think they're going to be on the screen. So let's look at the first one. Here it is. The first one is this. God is a just God, and therefore he's greatly concerned about justice. So why even bother with these cities of refuge? And the reason God placed them in the land of Canaan is because God is just, and he's therefore very concerned about justice. Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, you remember that story, it's the context of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and um, Abraham's pleading for uh, God to perhaps have mercy on Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says to God, um, well, if there's 50 righteous people, would you destroy the city? And he's like, no, I'll, I'll save the city if there's 50 righteous people there. 
And then he says, if there's 45 righteous people, will you destroy the city? And God said no. And the number went from 40, from 30, from 20, from 10. And God said, no, if there's 10 righteous people, I won't destroy the city. But as we know, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And Genesis 18.25 says this, concludes with this question, will not the judge of all the earth do right? In other words, God is a, God is a just God. God is concerned about justice, and so he instituted cities of refuge so that people could find a place of shelter until justice could take place. Micah 6.8 in the Old Testament, familiar verse, asks the question, and what does the Lord require of you? God's a just God. He's, he, he wants, he's concerned about justice. What does God require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So if God's concerned about justice, he says, so should we. And God designed these cities of refuge as an expression of the character of God. He's a just and righteous God. Second life lesson is this. So you think about the cities of refuge and how that was all designed. Here it is. Uh, life lesson number two says, we are all guilty of sin and in need of refuge. Not only did somebody in the Old Testament need a place of refuge because they committed uh, an unintentional murder, but as we think about the Bible and think about this concept of refuge, the scripture tells us that we're in need of a place of refuge. As we go through uh, the book of Romans, in the first three chapters of the book of Romans, the, the Apostle Paul is making the case that the whole world, every person, stands guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.10, there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 we read, for all have sinned and come short of God's glory. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as we think about this, um, hey, we need a refuge, don't we? Because we're all, we're all guilty. Every person on the planet is guilty of sin, and we like to compare ourselves with other other people, and we say, well, I'm not too bad compared to them, but when we compare ourselves to a holy God who is perfect and demands perfection, we're guilty, and we need a place of refuge. Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, Jesus comes along, and he just... Um, raises raises the standard and if you're familiar with the sermon on the mount there's a a phrase that that Jesus uses and he says you have heard uh, that it was said of old but i say unto you and what was Jesus doing he's he's raising the the bar he's raising the standard from not just the act but the attitude and what's going on in the heart and so in Matthew chapter 5, uh, and this is from the New Living Translation, verses 21 and 22, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. 
But I say to you, Jesus said, if you are even angry with someone without cause, you are subject to judgment. So he's getting to the, the core of, of, of murder is a heart issue. The problem of the, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And it begins with dislike that moves to hatred, that moves to anger, that eventually sometimes acts out and ends up in somebody dying. And Jesus is saying, um, if we have that hatred in our heart without cause and we uh, angry and hatred with somebody, guess what? That's the attitude of murder. And, and he goes on to say the same thing uh, uh, in, um, uh, he says, you know, it's, it's not just the um, act of sexual sin, but what? It's, it's lust. If you've committed uh, lust in your heart, you're guilty. And so he, he raises the standard. So the Bible says, we're all guilty of sin, and we need a refuge. The last life lesson is, is this, and we'll spend a little bit more time on this one. But life lesson number three, and this is the key one, our refuge is not a place, but it's a person. Our refuge is not a place. We don't have to run to a city and present our case at the city gates. But the Bible says our refuge is a person. And his name is Jesus. Our refuge is not a place, but a person. Deuteronomy 33, 27. Moses pronouncing a blessing on the tribes of Israel. And we read... He says, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are his everlasting arms. Our scripture reading this morning, Psalm 46.1, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in a time of trouble. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so our refuge is not a place. Our refuge is a person. And I want to suggest to us as we close this morning about uh, three areas where we, we need a refuge. And I already touched on, on this earlier, but here's the first one. We need a refuge for salvation, don't we? Because as we looked in Romans chapter 1 through 3 and through the book of Romans, we are all guilty of sin. We deserve death. We deserve separation from a holy God. And so we need to find a refuge, and the refuge is a person, and his name is Jesus. Here's Hebrews chapter 6, last part of verse 18 through verse 20, the King James Version says, uh, talking about God, we have fled to him for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become a high priest forever. So the, the, the person in the Old Testament was, was free to leave the city of refuge when the high priest died. In the New Testament, the Bible says, when our high priest died, Jesus, then we have the offer of salvation and protection. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that 
in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we need a refuge for salvation. I trust everybody here has, has run to the Savior uh, just as a person that committed an unintentional um, murder or killing would run to the city of refuge, uh, to run to Jesus and put our faith and trust in him. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So we need a refuge for salvation, and uh, Christ provided that way through his death on the cross. Secondly, we need a refuge for safety and security. We need a refuge for safety and security in our life. Proverbs 18.10, I love this, this verse. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Looking for a place of safety and security today? Not going to be found, not going to be found in our finances. I've been following the stock market the last few days. It's, uh, it's tanking. The Bible says don't put your trust in riches that come and go. It's, it's not to be found in our job. It's not to be found in our human relationships, but ultimate safety and security is found in the person of God and a relationship with him. And so we need a refuge for safety and security. And the last part of the book of Romans ends on uh, this high point uh, section of Scripture, and it says, who can separate us from the love of God? Once we come to Christ, we are we are safe and secure. So who shall separate you and I from the love of Christ? And then the Apostle Paul writes, Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then he concludes, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, Neither the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth. And then he says, nor anything else in all creation, in case I've forgotten something, basically, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you know Christ as your Savior this morning, you are safe and secure in him. And in John chapter 10, it's the, it's the picture that uh, uh, Jesus says, uh, my sheep and those that know me are in my hand and they're secure in my hand. And then John 10 says, the Father's hand is around uh, the hand of Jesus and we are in the double clutch safety of Christ's hand coupled by the Father's hand. We are safe and secure in him. We sing that song, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms, safe and secure. What? From all alarms, leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Well, thirdly, lastly, as we think about the fact that we uh, need a, a refuge and we need a refuge for salvation uh, we need a refuge for safety and security. Lastly, number three, we need a refuge for strength. We need a refuge for strength. And I'm going to add the word serenity there, peace. Sometimes in our spiritual journey, we get weary, get discouraged, we get tired physically, emotionally, spiritually, and we need strength. 
And as we've gone through the book of Joshua, it's been interesting how many times uh, God says to Joshua and to the nation of Israel, uh, this phrase over and over, it's a command, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, and then because you're going to inherit the land, but it's you're going to it's going to take some some courage and strength. And so where do we get that strength and courage from? And again, it's from running to a person, not a place. It's from the person of, of God who is our refuge and strength. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, in uh, perhaps the most familiar portion of Isaiah, chapter 40, we read these uh, words. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? So Isaiah is saying to the Israelites, do you ever feel like um, God doesn't know what's going on in your life? Or if he does know, he doesn't care? Basically saying, why, why do you say God's, God's not involved in your life? Or, or my cause is disregarded by God? And then he answers the question, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, this is directed to those who say, I'm tired, I don't understand what's happening, but I'm going to trust in you, God, and I'm going to trust in all that you said in your word. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And so our ultimate source of strength is God. Three quick ways that we can get strength from God. Uh, and this is the first one. Uh, our source of strength is found in the promises of God. And so how do we find strength in God? Well, uh, we rest on his promises. That was the whole key to the book of Joshua. You're going to go and conquer the land. I've already given it to you. Now you just need to, what, trust me and obey. And so our source of strength is in the promises of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's never going to abandon you. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I, I feel like I can't go on, that's when I, that's when I rest in you and, and you give me strength. The promise of God's provision, but my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The promise of the peace of God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And then what? The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds, your emotions and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. And so for strength, we go to the, the promises of God. And the strength is found in the person of God, who God is. And strength is also found and available through the people of God. Not just the promises of God, not just the person of God, but we find strength in the people of God. And that's why the scriptures tell us over and over again, 
Um, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But come together, and what's one of the purposes of coming together? So you can encourage one another. And so we find strength when believers uh, uh, come together. And you think about all the, the one another phrases in the New Testament where uh, there's like 12 of them. We're to what? love one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to bear with one another. We're to forgive one another. And on and on the list goes. And we find strength and encouragement when that happens. And so... Um, the three life lessons from Joshua chapter 20, the cities of refuge, it reflects the character of God. That God is just, he's concerned about justice, and so should we. And secondly, we realize that we're all guilty. We need, a, we need a place of refuge, don't we? And the Bible says that refuge is not a, a place, it's not a city, but it's a person. And we find our refuge from the penalty of God, eternal separation from God, And when we put our trust in our refuge and strength and our Savior, Jesus, and we find not only salvation, but a place of safety, security, and strength for whatever God brings our way. I trust you found that place of of refuge, and that's encouragement to you. I'd like us to stand together as we close here, and we're going to read a a scripture verse that... um, I found in Psalm chapter 5, verse 11. I'd like us to read this in unison. So join me as we read this. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Lord, thank you that you are our mighty fortress. You are our place of safety, security, and refuge. Lord, you've rescued us from uh, eternal separation from you. Lord, you have uh, given us the promise of security in your hands. And Lord, nothing can separate us from your love. And Lord, I pray for the one here this morning that may be uh, weary and may be tired Lord, I pray that you would uh, infuse them with strength as they put their hope in you, as they trust the promises of God, and as we encourage one another this morning. So we thank you for the, the place of refuge that is not a city, but it's a person. Lord, may we share that good news with those that we come in contact with this week. And Lord, we will give you all the praise and all the glory in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.